I ask you to, <clears throat> to remain standing as we read from God's Word from Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 16 and reading through verse 30. Matthew eleven sixteen through 30. Hear the Word of God. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like the children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsidia! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it is more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows, all, knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The grass withers, <clears throat> the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, that your word endures, that your word will not change. And we pray now, Father, that through the unchanging word, and through the gracious spirit who inspired these words of old, and is with us even now, that we as your children would come to see you speaking to us through your word and by your spirit. We pray for the one who speaks. We know that his sins are many. We pray that you would forgive him of his sins and that you would enable us then as your children to again feed upon you this day. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I expect at some point in your life you've been in one of those situations where somebody has said, well, do you want the good news first or the bad news? And you have to say, I don't know which one I want first because it sounds like there's some bad news coming. And you've heard some of the stories about things of that nature. There was a story about a, a minister who was asked by his board to uh, draw up a, a description, a job description, and to present it before the board, and, and he did. And 
when they looked at it, they thought, wow, this is excellent. And they told him, said, that's really excellent. That is really good. But the bad news is now we're going to go out and look for somebody who can fill that position because we don't think you can handle that. Good news, bad news. Well, evangelism is a lot like that, isn't it? Evangelism is something where we tell people the good news. We explain to them that they can go to heaven. Where everything is joy and peace, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. But the bad news is that you can't get there the way you are unless you are changed radically. And then on the other end of it, especially with evangelism, then the really good news comes about when you explain to them the way of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Well, this passage is sort of like the good news has been told to them. Now Jesus is expressing to them the sorrow of the bad news, and then He invites them to the really good news at the end. The passage is about some people who were extremely stubborn in the way in which they were reacting to the message that was given. The message that came both through John the Baptist and through Jesus Himself. If we had picked it up at the beginning of chapter 11, you have read about the way in which John the Baptist had been preaching. And John the Baptist and Jesus both had the same message. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and turn away from your sinful ways and turn unto the one who alone can give you life. But when John the Baptist was preaching in that way, he was out in the wilderness. He wore camel hair with a leather belt. He ate locust and wild honey. And a lot of people who went to see John, many were converted, but others went out there more or less to see what I would call the sideshow. You know, let's go see this freak out there, strange looking character who doesn't come into town and he's a really strange guy. And so they kind of mocked John for that reason. And then when Jesus comes along and Jesus is preaching the same message, the message of repent and believe the gospel, and Jesus was doing it not only with His words, but also with His mighty deeds where He was cleansing lepers and healing the sick and casting out demons and all manner of things. And when they looked at Jesus, they again had some skepticism about Him. They said, well... He associates with these tax collectors and these prostitutes and these sinners. And he drinks wine and he's a glutton. And so it didn't matter which message they were hearing, which is really the same message, they had reason to reject either because this guy's a strange character and how can believe him, especially somebody who lives in the wilderness like that, or this guy over here who seems to be kind of friendly with the wrong crowd. Uh, we can't trust either one of them. So Jesus uses this little, little saying about uh, the children who were playing music in the marketplace. And they say, well, if you played the flute and should be a little lively dance type tune, you didn't like that. So we played a dirge and you didn't like that. And he's saying, you're just never satisfied. No matter which way it comes to you, either in a happy tune or a sad tune, you're not happy, you're not satisfied, you're wanting something different. Well, doesn't that sound like uh, a lot of people today looking at Jesus? Well, some people preach Jesus' health, wealth, and satisfaction that way. Well, it's not really the right gospel to preach, is it? But yet a lot of people are flocking to that type of message. 
Others are hearing, you know, the Jesus that is a good moral example, but He really is not God. That's not the right message either. The message they're hearing that's bright is that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one of God who came and lived a perfect life and then willingly suffered and died in your place, taking upon Himself your sin, my sin, in order that your sins could be forgiven. That message, they say, well, that, you know, that bloody sacrifice stuff, that doesn't sound too good. And other reasons that people come up with to say, well, that, that just doesn't sound too good. I'm not so sure about that. And as a result, we have the same kind of situation today that Jesus was dealing with. There's a lot of stubbornness in rejecting the message of salvation. Jesus goes on then to give them a stern warning. He points out to some of the cities that, uh, where He had done some mighty works and mighty deeds, and then He compares them with some of the cities of the past who were notorious in terms of their greed, in terms of their, their vileness, their wickedness, and everybody assumed that those cities were, you know, they're, they're really going to be condemned, whereas we're a lot better than that. <laughs> We won't be as condemned as much as those cities are because, after all, we're, we're really good people. And we know we're good. And Jesus is wanting them, Tyre and Sidon, cities on the seacoast, who were notorious again for doing a lot of money changing and were very rich and affluent, but also very evil. He's saying, you other cities, cities of... The city in Corazon, you, you're going to be sad on the day of judgment because they're not going to be judged as harshly as you. What Jesus is saying is, you have seen more and been given more opportunities to know me and to know what it means to repent and believe the gospel than they did. Had they been given those opportunities, they would have repented. But you've been given that opportunity and you didn't repent. And because you've been given so many opportunities and have not repented, the judgment for you will be far worse. You think about that, again, from today's standards, and we could point out some of the cities that we can think of that uh, are notorious in terms of their criminal activity and things of that nature. Chicago and Atlanta and San Francisco and places like that, you know, those are, those are really bad cities. Memphis, we used to live close to Memphis, and Memphis is horrible now. But what about uh, the cities where the gospel has been preached and where there have been many opportunities and many Bible-believing churches available to them, and yet uh, there's still a, a hardness of heart. There's still a lack of commitment. There's still a lack of, of humbling themselves before the gracious Lord and coming unto Him the way in which He invites. You see, it's much like that situation that uh, Jesus told about, about the rich man and, and Lazarus. The rich man who enjoyed much fruit and benefit in his life. And Lazarus who was a poor beggar who had uh, the dogs licking at his sores and all he wanted to do was just get a scrap of food from the table of the rich man. 
But they both died. And the rich man was suffering in Hades, whereas Lazarus was resting in Abraham's bosom, it says. And notice what it goes on to say in Luke 16. And this is the rich man speaking, and he says, I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house, for I have five brothers that they may be warned, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus, speaking of his own resurrection and his own message to them in that way was, there's still a hardness of heart among too many people who have seen the mighty deeds, who have heard the glorious message, and yet who remain hardened in all of these things. Well, Jesus then points out that uh, the Father has hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them unto babes. Now, don't get too hung up on the idea of God hiding it from people. What he's really talking about there is a way in which so many people have such pride in their abilities to where they can't see what God is revealing to them. But the babes are those who are so humbled by their need of salvation to where they recognize they are totally dependent, just like a a baby, totally dependent upon someone else for everything that they have. A young baby, two or three month old, newborn, a young child who can't feed himself, can't do anything for himself. That's the way Jesus says we need to be. Not claiming any righteousness of our own, not claiming any intelligence of our own that makes us more acceptable to God in some way, but showing that we recognize that we are totally, totally, totally dependent upon Him. For the salvation that we need is truly by grace through faith and not by any works, any good deeds, any intelligence, any superiority, any family heritage or whatever else you want to claim. Our salvation is truly that gift that only God can provide for us. And Jesus is saying to them very point blank, you who are so wise and conceited in yourselves are so stuck on yourself to where you can't see the need that you have. The need that you have of coming to the one who offers himself so fully and so completely to you. And so it's almost as if Jesus comes to some point there in this message, in his discourse with these people, and he may be thinking, you know, I wonder if some of you are asking yourself the question, what must I do to be saved, like the Philippian jailer or some of the others who had this revelation that came to them from the Lord, and it shows them I need something that I don't have right now. And so Jesus tells them exactly what they are to do. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Don't come to your intellect. Don't come to a particular church. Don't come to a particular style of worship. Don't come to 
all these other myriads of things that people might be inviting you to come to and, and grow in that. Don't come to those things. Come to Jesus Himself. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There is no salvation apart from Him. Don't come thinking that you have earned your right to come unto Him. Don't come thinking that because of your superior intellect and wisdom, don't come because of your heritage and you have a greater standing with with the Lord because of that. Come to Jesus as that babe. Again, it's much like another parable that Jesus taught or story that Jesus told. And think about the scribes and the Pharisees and their doctrines of meritorious service, the way in which they had done all kinds of things in order to prove their religious fervor. And Jesus told them a parable in Luke 18 where He said, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the message that's been coming to us from the earliest chapters of the Bible all the way through. The importance of humbling ourselves and believing God and His message. It's actually the sin of Adam and Eve, isn't it? When Satan tempted Eve in the garden, he was saying, don't believe God, believe me. And she succumbed to that message thinking that his offer was better than what she was getting from God. And throughout the rest of the world's history, people are still succumbing to the message of there's something different than what God is offering to me. And I don't really have to believe everything God says rather than the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord will stand forever rather than standing upon the solid rock, the solid foundation of God's Word and knowing that what He has told us is indeed what we need to hear. The one who says, come to me, is Jesus Christ Himself. He's the one that Mark last week preaching from 1 Corinthians 15 talked about. He's the one who suffered and died, was buried and rose again. He's the one who is fully God and fully man in one person. Very unique. Fully God, whereby He is born without sin. Fully man, where He's tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's the one who lived that perfect life, being tempted not just by the devil in the wilderness, but throughout all kinds of situations in his life where you and I would have reacted differently because of the sin in us where he withstood those things. And he goes to the cross being totally innocent. And there he suffers 
the painful, shameful death on the cross. Not just the physical suffering that He endured, but the suffering where where He cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? When the Father turns His back upon the Son, the mystery of mysteries is there where sin is being placed upon Him. But death could not hold Him. Sin and death have been defeated because the third day after His death there on the cross, He rises from the dead. And we're getting ready to celebrate that just in a few weeks and to celebrate again the miracle of God's giving to us life. This is the one who says, come to me. Come to Him. Again, not to doctrines, not to intellect, not to superior systems. Come to Jesus Himself. And find in Him the one who will give you peace. What kind of peace does He give? Well, most of all, He should be giving you, or you should understand it. He's giving you the peace about what it means to have your sins forgiven and to know that you have a place in heaven reserved for you through Him. And you don't have to struggle around trying to figure out What's the best way to get to heaven? Which system do I follow? Which group do I follow? No, you follow Jesus, the one who said, come to me. You come to Him and He then tells you that He's going to place His yoke upon you. Now, you think of a yoke and we don't see many oxen plowing around here anymore, but you know the picture of the oxen or whatever in in a harness, in a yoke. And Jesus is saying, put my yoke upon you. That means be my disciple. Be one who has committed to me, not just as the one who saves you, but as the Lord of your life. And then see how the whole of your life fits into this picture of how I am God, I am sovereign over all, and if you will learn of me, you'll begin to put things together in life that you have never seen before. You will learn of what it means to be a faithful follower you will learn that in the midst of the struggles that you're encountering, that I'm using all of those things working in you for your good. You'll learn what that uh, verse in Romans 8, 28 is all about, about how all these things are working together for good, even in the midst of your struggles. And your life will find peace. A peace that only He can give. A peace that will enable you to endure and enable you to press on even when the struggles of life seem to be getting you down. Have you come to Jesus? Have you come to the One who alone says that uh, there is no other way to the Father but through Him? Have you come to the One who alone who can give you that salvation? We trust that you have. If you haven't, ask you to consider that, that glorious invitation that Jesus gives because it's not just an invitation to be relieved of the burden now, but to be able to rejoice with the Father eternally, knowing that you will indeed, you indeed have been spared the, the fires of separation from Him through the gracious gift of a Savior who willingly died for you. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you 
We do thank you that even in the midst of the stubbornness of our hearts, you are willing to work in us and cause us to see our need of the Savior. We pray then, Father, that you would be pleased to touch our hearts this day so that we would want to come to you more firmly, more firmly, more fully, more completely with greater expectation of knowing that as the Lord of our lives, you will continue to guide and direct us in all aspects of what we may encounter. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.